Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. And thank you so much for joining today. This episode, The Healer, has been generously sponsored by our dear show members, Dr. Stephen, he's a doctor, and his wife, Jennifer. She's a dietitian and helps people with healthy food. Very appropriate for today's class. So Dr. Stephen and Jennifer Kranz have dedicated the class to commemorate the yard site of Stephen's father. He's a special Yid who I had the privilege to know for many years. I believe his yard site is today. His Hebrew name was Tzvi Yisroel Ben Reb Yoel. The Neshama should have an Aliyah and we should only have the opportunity to share good health and happiness and many, many simchas together. So, with no further ado, today we are going to delve into health and wellness. And I have to tell you that when I started to prepare this class, it was an obvious question that came to mind, and it's a question that maybe comes to mind to you as well. And the question, the question is this. So be it resolved that all success comes from the Rabbeinu Shalalem, the master of the universe. Success, financially, materially. Who lives, who dies, how a world unfolds. Even in the midst of extraordinary chaos, a war zone. Each and every detail is being guided by what might be invisible, but God's hand. And this is a basic essence of, uh, of our Yiddishkeit. I mean, this is, this is what we subscribe to. This is what we believe. And Rabbeinu Bechaya went through it in great detail when it came to the concept of Parnassah, he discussed first, you know, 
living and dying, taking chances. Do we have the right to put ourselves in danger? And he said, no, let me explain why we don't. <laughs> and he said, like, so if I'm successful, is it because of my efforts? No. Do I have to make efforts? Yes. If I fail, does it mean I should stop making efforts? No. So it's getting kind of uh, stale. Okay, so it isn't obvious that our, our health and wellness comes from Hashem. Why did the Bein Bahaya choose to address this specifically? That's an unspoken question. That's something that I was kind of thinking about as I began to immerse myself in his words and ideas. And the more I immersed myself in his words and ideas, the more it became apparent what he was trying to tell us and why health and wellness has to be discussed in a stage of its own. And that's where the curtain goes up today. So, the healer. Let us begin to delve into the words of the Holy Rabbeinu B'chayi and the Shara B'tochen. We have already explained that B'tochen applies to earning a livelihood. No, it does not contradict the efforts that we must make. And we've talked about the idea of preserving life, as in not placing oneself in a situation of danger. Yes, we need to take the necessary precautions from dangerous situations. All right. Now, Rabbeinu Bechaya will apply this principle to health and to wellness. And he's going to illustrate for us in very clear color the idea that everything is in Hashem's hands. And at the same time, we have to invest ourselves fully, making what we refer to in Hebrew as hishtadlut, sincere efforts to try to achieve this. And I know it does seem somewhat paradoxical. Either we're doing this or God's doing this. Who's calling the shots? Who's really in charge? I can comfortably say with full conviction, God is fully in charge. Then why do I advocate for people to go to doctors and listen to their instructions? Because Torah does. In fact, Torah mandates it. But why does Torah mandate that if God's in charge anyway? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is a question that's been asked by many, many people over the ages. Before Rabbeinu B'chayah authored the Shara V'tochen, I don't know if that many people had a cogent answer. And that was much of the thrust of Rabbeinu B'chayah in this work in Chavis Halavavis, but specifically, not only the duties of the heart, but specifically in the gate of trust to address this very question, to deal with this precise paradox, and to create a balance and a synergy in our lives where we can live in a manner that is filled with trust, reliance on God, and faith conviction, and at the same time, to do the things that every other regular, typical, average person might do. And how do we balance them? This is the subject matter of today's episode. 
If you're following along in the new Kiat edition, I invite you to take a look at page 127. Good afternoon, Villette. At least I get some feedback from somebody, and I appreciate your being here. If there's anybody else who joins us and has questions or would like to make a comment, I do try to glance periodically at the screen that's right over there, and I will do my best with Hashem's help to try to respond. So, let's get right into it. V'chein noimar. And so, we would say same. Be'inyan habriyut v'hacholi. Insofar as matters regarding health or illness. Those are the polar opposites. A person who is in a state of perfect health means everything is working just right. You have full balance. All of the faculties, all of the limbs, all of the organs, everything is in a perfect state of harmony. There's no disruption. And as such, a person is able to function at his or her highest level of acuity. That doesn't mean we will always choose to function at the highest level of acuity. That is a choice we have to make. That's called, by the way, avodat Hashem. That's called the efforts, might I add, strenuous efforts, that we're expected to make in the direction or insofar as our mission in life is concerned. That is to say, we could be perfectly healthy and choose not to pray. We could be perfectly healthy and choose not to invest ourselves in Torah study, not to open our hearts, our minds, and our souls to God's instructions. We could choose to feed ourselves, exercise, groom, engage in relationships in a selfish, indulgent manner. Or we could do so in a selfless, committed and devoted manner which focuses on the Creator and the mission that He tasked us with, namely to change this world and make it a better place, to usher in the coming of Mashiach. Really, that's the raison d'etre. That's the end goal of this all. So, so it is with regard to health. One needs their health to be able to accomplish or achieve this. Choli. Choli means when there's a breakdown in the system. It's not a secret that if there's a part of the body that isn't working right, it'll affect overall wellness. It's not a secret that there are two theories to achieving wellness or even healing. One is to target the specific ailment, the organ or limb, that right now is experiencing a dysfunction. And the other is to deal with things in a more comprehensive way. To see the entire patient, not the specific illness. Incidentally, Maimonides, who was a great doctor, as well as a great rabbi and a great Torah leader, a paragon of faith and philosophy, a paragon of service to Hashem, subservience to the Creator, and an example of what a perfect Jew is supposed to look like. Maimonides believed, medically speaking, and I'm sure this was infused by his Torah because you cannot separate Rambam from Rambam. The Rambam is one essence. He believed that one had to treat a patient comprehensively. He believed that the only way one could properly diagnose 
and deal with illness was to be able to understand the big picture. Big picture healing is called holistic today, and it's something that's gaining traction, despite the fact that Western medicine has become hyper-focused on specialization, breaking things down into their individual compartments. Forget medicine by Zoom, which is entirely beyond the pale from a Maimonidean perspective. But anyway, I digress. The, the Rabbeinu Bechaye is addressing these issues now. Health and wellness, brius, choyli, sickness and healing. Two polar extremes. Within a state of perfect health, a person can serve Hashem well, perfectly, harmoniously, as best as he or she can. Within a state of the body's breakdown or lack of health, chas v'sholem, what happens is that the human being is impaired. Lack of health affects our spirits, our emotional well-being, and ultimately, our spiritual health and welfare. As the Magad of Zerich famously taught, a small crevice, a cracker, something missing in a bodily sense, can result in a gaping hole in one's spiritual completeness of fruition. So this is important. It's important because we all want to live life fully. It's important because in order for us to fulfill our destiny, we need to be healthy. And we need to find healing if we're sick or ill. So Rabbeinu Bechaya says the same ideas that we applied previously will apply, apply here as well. First, foremost, and foundationally, Rabbeinu Bechaya lays down the law. Ki al ha'odom liftoyach the first thing is trust in Hashem. As we learned many, many an episode ago, when we were still in the preface to the Shahar B'tachem, in the third section, if we place a trust in something other than Hashem, we necessarily minimize our ability to absorb the blessings and the divine gift and energy that should rightfully be ours. If we open ourselves to Hashem's beneficence by virtue of betochen, of trusting in Hashem, for this is what Hashem craves and wants from us, a constant state of mindfulness, not only to be aware of Hashem, but to rely on Hashem. Hashem says, trust me your hope in me. And then he created a world that is anything but conducive to that, which makes it a great challenge and a great feat and achievement. When we are able to get past the here and now, the apparent, that which meets our eye, that which we can touch or feel, and when we can live with a sense of perfect conviction in Hashem, we can develop and nurture a real sense of betochen. We open ourselves 
to receiving those very blessings. And so Rabbeinu Bechaya says, I must tell you, first and foremost, Ki ala odom I know we've been saying this so many times during the course of, of this series. It's all about trust. And there's really no more important thing for us to say and to actualize as trust in Hashem. But along with that trust, he says, and to make the efforts. So we shouldn't place the primary emphasis on the physical material, the ordinary, the pedestrian, the hear, touch, and feel stuff, and say, well, you know, I'm going to faith, I have some faith as well. I mean, I'm trusting God too. This is how most of us actually function. <laughs> like, like who we fool in. We're uh, very materially minded people. So for us, intuitively, at least most of the time, faith is the secondary afterthought. We have to remind ourselves to have betachem. This is the battle. This is the struggle. To constantly trust in Hashem first. But if that trust leads us not to take action, we're abusing it. And it's trust misplaced and inappropriate. Because trusting God is on God's terms. And God in His Torah says, I want you to make the efforts. I want you to trust me. I want you to rely on me. And then go ahead and make those efforts. Make them wholeheartedly and sincerely. <laughs> you know, I'm like a, I'm a stickler for words. I think you have to be. I, I, I believe that this legendary millennial sage chose his words with great care. And although he wrote in a medieval Arabic, which I wish I would be able to speak and understand only so that I can read this work in its original, it was rendered into Hebrew by a great translator, a great Rishon, Rabbi Ibn Tibbin is no slouch. And so he, without a doubt, chose his words very, very carefully also. And the chosen word is Hatmada. What does that mean? Why do I think it's so important? Perhaps you heard of the Hebrew word tamid. Tamid means constant. Tamid is a noun. So something is tamid, like for example, near tamid. A constant light, a constant lamp that burnt. So in the Beit HaMikdash there was a constant lamp that was always burning. In many synagogues there's a, 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 a lantern or a lamp in times bygone, it was made of olive oil, it's for the most part electric today. It's always on. Even though when lights go off, the near tamid stays on because tamid, by definition, means constant. Hatmada is the noun that becomes a verb. 
Hatmada is not something in the past necessarily. It could be present or dynamic or futuristic. But Hatmada becomes a thing we do. Something we're doing constantly or it translates as assiduous diligence. Why is this so important? Most people, especially young people, don't think twice about their health. <laughs> young people are invincible. When you start to get a little older, maybe you hit middle age and you start to slow down a little, and a lot of us become very mindful, mindful about doing things in a healthier way because unhealthy behavior starts taking its toll. I'm not ashamed to tell you I'm one of those people. I never really thought twice about it when I was a kid. But I do now. I personally, I eschew unhealthy food as much as I can. I try not to overeat. I try, I try my best. If I had more time, <laughs> I think I would exercise. I just can't find the time. The point is this. Rabbeinu B'chaya says wellness or health is not something to be thought of in a time of illness from a Torah perspective. Your health is something you need to maintain continuously. You need to be mindful and aware of your bodily welfare. You need to maintain your health. And that's why he uses the word hatmada. Sometimes people have a, in a medical event and that scares them into living more in a more healthy fashion. But it's not bad to start living more healthy. But we shouldn't wait for a breakdown of the body. We shouldn't wait for something to go wrong. The Torah way of living is to live a healthy life. I'm comfortable telling you that from a Torah perspective, smoking is just wrong. No, it's not prohibited because it says that verse specifically speaks to not doing dangerous things. I know I'm popping a lot of bubbles. That's the truth. That's very clear in the Shulchan Aruch. I can't tell you that doing something like that is a direct violation of the Torah. It isn't. But it's not the Torah way of life. If you ask me, and if you don't, I'm giving you my opinion anyway, Eating sweets and putting sugar in your coffee isn't necessarily the Torah way of life either. Why do things have to be sweet? You're not a baby. You're not a child. Just eat decent, normal food. Eat what's healthy. Why stuff your face with things that aren't? Why engage in unhealthy behavior? The Torah way of living is constantly be mindful of maintaining our health. And that's what's called Hasmodus Abrius. Well, why should I do that? If I'm going to get sick, hey, I'm going to get sick anyway. And if I'm not going to get sick, well, then I'm not going to get sick. Isn't it all in God's hands? Yeah, it is. Well, then what's the difference whether I do or don't make the effort? Because the Torah says you're supposed to make the effort. 
And by the way, it isn't that obvious. It really isn't. To the best of my knowledge, Maimonides in the laws of attitudes, Hilchus is the first time we find documented this idea that the way we live our life and choosing to live in a healthy way is midarke avodas Hashemhi. I've done a fair bit of research on the subject and I never found these precise words ever written before. I think Rabbeinu Bechaya perhaps is the first one who gives us an inkling in that direction. Rabbeinu Bechaya didn't make things up, Rambam doesn't make things up. These were Torah geniuses, illuminated souls who had a grasp of the profundity of Torah that we can't even fathom. When they studied Torah, they understood its message so profoundly that they were able to extrapolate basic truisms and articulate them in a way that you and I could understand. And whilst what I'm saying may seem entirely intuitive and in keeping with whatever you think of when you think of Torah life, and it is, it's because of these writings. It's because Rabbeinu Machaya was writing these words a thousand years ago. It's because Rambam committed it to halachic prose nearly nine centuries ago. So he says from a faith perspective, meaning from a Torah perspective, a halacha perspective, a person is obligated lehishtabel bahasmodas habrios. And he says, besibois, and the word siba, we think of it in modern Hebrew or the modern vernacular as a reason. But it seems that Ibn Tibbin used this word in his translation of Rabbeinu Bechaya's work to mean a mechanism or a means. Because, of course, everything that's a cause is a mechanism. It's a spring. It's something that catalyzes. So the siba is something that causes the reason for, the catalyst. So he said, we have to do this besiba asher mitivonze. Through means or via mechanism, cause that would naturally produce this. So we're supposed to do things which are conducive to good health because things conducive to good health will bring us good health. Hey, one second. We bring good health? Well, God gives good health. No, God gives good health. So why do I have to be careful? Because Hashem tells me to. Because it's my Torah obligation. I'm obligated to do my best. My best is not eating fast food and gorging on sweets. That might be my worst. It could well be the path of least resistance. Tastes delicious. Easily available. Yeah. Well, if life's about self-indulgence and life's about momentary pleasure, I guess the self-gratification it offers is the, the thing you're looking for. But if life's about meaning, if life's about purpose, 
It's life's about fulfilling the destiny, the mandate that Hashem has given us, and none of us know how many years we have. None of us know how much time we have. Which doesn't mean we aren't supposed to do our best. We are supposed to do our best. Our best. But should I worry then? What if it doesn't work? What if I have a genetic defect that I'm not even aware of? What if they'll find out in five years from now there'll be a new study coming out that that which they think is really good for your health now in fact is really bad for your health? (laughs) Don't laugh at me. This has happened multiple times in my own lifetime that I can remember. I remember a an explosion on the landscape of health and wellness where they discovered how bad cholesterol is and suddenly studies were coming out that during the Second World War where people couldn't eat eggs or couldn't find meat because it was a scarcity, even in the United States, though the war theater was across the ocean, there was a scarcity. Because of that scarcity, people ate less cholesterol and there was a drop in the index of cardiac arrest and cardiac disease. And everybody went like crazy about having absolutely no cholesterol whatsoever. And then a couple of years later, they said, "Eh, no cholesterol whatsoever is actually a very bad idea. Your body needs cholesterol. Your body just shouldn't have too much cholesterol. And you have to try to have healthy cholesterol. And that's when the whole idea of trans fats came into the market. When I was a kid, there were no snacks that said no trans fats. Today, they're everywhere. All of a sudden, everybody's aware of the healthy fat and unhealthy fat. I remember the rise of the Atkins diet. And that people were suddenly avoiding carbohydrates altogether, eating only proteins. And then they found that it's not good for your liver. It's got less calories, but you might lose weight and still be unhealthy. And so, all of a sudden... They started bringing carbohydrates back, but now they're talking about healthier carbohydrates. So a person could actually drive himself crazy. And there are people who suffer from something called obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, where they, they obsess with such anxiety over the food they're eating and whether it's healthy or not, that they actually probably shorten their life due to anxiety, which is said to be one of the sneakiest and biggest killers and cause of disease. (laughs) So, how do you know? What should you do? You know, Maimonides tells us, you follow whatever the medical textbooks of your time are saying. Why? Maybe they're wrong. In fact, so many things from the medicine of the era of Maimonides or the people like doctors like Gallen that he based much of his medical research and conclusions upon, were disproven in later years. Well, that's absolutely true. And many of the things we know today, we might discover, were wrong. Medicine may vastly shift in the coming years and decades. So you can't drive yourself crazy. So what should you do? The answer is, that what you know. But don't obsess over it. Don't go crazy about it. Don't turn it, as my father likes to say, into a religion. 
they'll become like fiercely, blindly obedient to a particular diet or way of life. You live healthy. You try to live healthy. That's not our religion. Our religion is not fitness. Our religion is not healthy, healthy eating. Our religion is serving Hashem. Hashem, our religion, which is our way of living, described and prescribed by God in His Torah, tells us that we should continuously make efforts to be healthy. Things which at least seem to naturally produce this result. So what does he mean? What does he mean? You don't need to leave this to your imagination because there were a number of outstanding post-medieval rabbis who wrote commentary on the Shara B'Tochen. And I've shared their illuminating comments with you many, many times. And I want to share with you some of the things they wrote. So for example, the Nether B'Kodesh says, what, what the Shara B'Tochen is trying to tell you is, Shal Yedei Sibais, that through particular causes or means, you could actually affect diligence in health and wellness. He says he doesn't mean be diligent about health. He says, he says engage in causes which will continuously be healthy, which will create healthy living. Neder Bar-Kedish believes that the word hasmada refers to the maintaining equilibrium or good health. And he says, well, how would you do that? What could he possibly mean? And the Nehdeh Bakayish says something very interesting. He says, Kigon, for example, are you they Samim? <laughs> now, Samim in modern Hebrew translates as drugs or narcotics. <laughs> I can assure you that, that uh, the the rabbis are not encouraging you to seek out psychedelic experience. Modern Hebrew or Ivrit is a language that is based on biblical and traditional classic Hebrew, but it isn't classical Hebrew, and this is a prime example, where in the slang or vernacular of modern Hebrew, samim is drugs. But just like drugs in English today, doing drugs means taking narcotics. Taking drugs a couple of decades ago meant taking medication from the drugstore. Funny enough, it's still called the drugstore, <laughs> even though in Canada we actually have s- stores that sell drugs. They sell narcotics, marijuana, which I think is a very bad idea, but that's another story. By the way, it's not healthy for you either. If you're in a lot of pain, it might be healthy for you because having pain is not healthy for anybody. But to live a healthy person, to seek happiness, by virtue of a simulated experience or a false sense of fulfillment is a profoundly dissolute and unhealthy way to live. Besides this, it's just not healthy. At any rate, so he says through Samuel, what does he mean here? It, it would seem that he doesn't mean pharmacology. I would imagine he means something like herbs, 
or natural supplements which are known to boost health. In um, 20th century language, vitamins. We're not talking about eating, because we talked about eating already, per se. He already said you have to eat. <laughs> he said you can't say, well, I'm supposed to live. God will put food in my mouth. It's ridiculous. Eat. The Nebuchadnezzar Kodesh feels that Rabbeinu B'chaya is speaking about more than healthy eating. He says he's talking about taking various substances which can be salutary to your health. There are a whole range of herbs which are said to have salutary effects. As I said in the modern terminology, the concept of, of vitamins. These are not to be confused with sustenance and nourishment. It's not nourishment. It's something which helps. Maybe it helps the heartbeat or heart rate. Maybe it helps circulation. Maybe it helps reduce bloating. Maybe it helps digestion. Maybe it stimulates the activity of kidneys. There are various things that are said to have properties that, that help. For example, a food that people eat today, because it flavors the food, but is said also to have medicinal or salutary properties, is something like garlic. Nobody eats garlic because they're hungry. So, oh, I'm hungry. Pass a head of garlic this way. But I've heard from many people that there's something in garlic that actually does more than flavor the food. And it's actually, could, could be good for you. There's this whole thing about lemon juice mixed with hot water first thing in the morning. It's not taken or drunk because you're thirsty, but apparently it has a positive effect on the body of digestion. And so many other things like that. And I don't mean to give you any kind of advice. Don't, don't take garlic if you don't want to. Don't drink your lemon juice. I, I could care less. That's not actually the point of this class. I'm not a medical practitioner. I'm not a professional in any way, shape, or form when it comes to this arena. I'm just giving you examples. Interestingly, the Nether B'Kaidish is not the only one to think or to have studied these words and said, Aha, Hasmodas habrias besibas Hashem That means vitamins. That means supplements. He's not talking about sustenance, food that satiates or keeps body and soul together. He's talking about things that have medicinal salutary effects. He's not the only one. The Toiv Halavonoi says, says it in uh, even clearer language. He says, Kiloimar, what Rabbeinu B'chaya is in effect trying to tell you is Samim, Drugs, but that's not what it means. Herbs would be a better translation, perhaps. Or certain kinds, food that has certain medicinal properties. Asovim. Asovim means grass. Weed. No, it doesn't mean weed. Not in the vernacular sense. Herbs. Hayaduim bimeleches harufus, which are known. Herbs which are known to medical professionals. Perhaps or I, I would say obviously medical professionals 
in times bygone. But then again, aspirin is straight off the bark of a tree. And yes, it actually works. It's a blood thinner. And that takes the headache away a lot of times. It could also be very bad for you if you're suffering from hemorrhage-like conditions. But it's taken from the bark of a tree. So you know those silly people, those foolish witch doctors, people from once upon a time who had these herbs? Well, guess what? A lot of the modern medicines that we take today are either utilizing these natural products, just developing them, and some of them are replicating them. And you've got to ask yourself if, if the body would better digest or absorb something which Hashem made naturally or something produced in a laboratory by people. And there's a big school of thought that says if you can get it naturally, it's always the smarter way to go. I don't know, it makes sense to me. It's like if you have to use something that makes things sweet, why not use honey, date honey, even bees honey, faster than sugar? Because that's processed and all the processing isn't healthy because, because the less natural it is, the harder it is for our bodies to digest. It's not even talk about like fake food or additives like aspartame. The body doesn't have the ability to break down. So the Teva Halavanan says, that's what Rabbeinu B'chai is talking about. They have a nature. What, is a, what does it mean, you have a nature? So the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya that nature is the word we use to describe something, a reaction, that doesn't come out of rhyme or reason. maybe in modern English, a chemical reaction. It's, it's nature. Some people recoil at certain things or are attracted by certain things. You say, why? I can't for the life of me understand why that attracts you. Okay, you don't have to understand it. I may not understand it either, but it draws me in or repels me. It's my nature. So things have a certain nature attached to it. That means there's a certain chemical predisposition, propensity. There's, there's a, a reaction. It triggers a certain kind of reaction. Incidentally, modern medicine uses a lot of these things because it discovers that there's certain properties attached to certain substances, and they don't know why. But it is demonstrable that it does it. So if for whatever reason, such and such a chemical or such and such a compound or such and, and such... A product does A, B, C, or D. Hey, that's exactly what we need. This person's body is doing something. Now we discover that here's a way to combat that. Or here's a way to augment what the body's doing. The body needs certain substances or can use certain substances as an aid, as an assistant to the production of certain vital fluids or certain chemicals. 
this is real. And it's actually proven, scientifically proven today. So you have a teva, which is deicha chulsha. You have something that has a nature. It's a chemical reaction that pushes away weakness. Let me use a simple example. Coffee. Coffee beans. Something in the coffee that gives us a perk, it wakes us up. <laughs> I know people who don't want to drink coffee. They say, I don't want to be dependent on a substance. And my, my view is personally that I'm dependent on food already. And so far, anywhere in the world I've been, there was always coffee available, Baruch Hashem. So, yeah, I love to live on coffee. It gives me the perk. Why wouldn't I want to be more alert or more awake if I could? Too much coffee is actually bad for you. Too much of anything is bad for you. There are many studies today that indicate that a little bit of stimulation from something like coffee is actually a very healthy and good thing. Okay, what am I getting? What am I getting at? I'm getting at that the Teva Levanan read these words of Rabbeinu Bechaya, who said to us that Lehishtadel, that the efforts that have to be made is Basmadas Habriya. He says we're talking about doing things to augment or help the body because they have medicinal properties. He says, Ula Fuke. What Rabbeinu Bechaya at the same time is ruling out is inyonim she'en hasechel goizrezim, things which are totally illogical. Well, we just said nature isn't logical. True. But he said, ein hateva maskinim nature doesn't agree with them. And we're referring to certain what's called sugulot, or propitions. That people say if you do A, B, or C, it's going to be healthful. It brings to greater wellness. It's an amulet, a magic potion. Yeah, what's that based on? Well, the old wives, by the way, the old women were very, very smart people. They had a lot of wisdom in the Yiddish Babas. But when it comes to medicine, it comes to wellness, let's not rely on uh, rumors or tales or legends. What would we say today? Show me the studies. Prove it to me. Oh, by the way, <laughs> that's how Rabbeinu Bechaya chose to look at things hundreds of years before, if not nobody, most people didn't tend to think. Things that have no medicinal proof attached to them, no science behind them, no meaning there's no observable data. They're just based on hearsay. You're actually not allowed to do, he says. The Gemara rules it out. It says, Darke Amrevi. That's called like, it's like a, was to be a form of mild idolatry. With the exception of Segulot, there are sometimes Segulot which are written in the Shas, which are found in the Talmud. Or, and here the Tevel of Adam says something so incredible. Oi, Shehiskim Aleim Hanesoyin Harbe Pamim. It's been clinically proven. I'm not making this up. Teva Levanen says this hundreds of years ago. Clinically proven. He says it. Hiskim aleim hanasoyim. Experience has demonstrated. That means clinically proven. Now, 
some of the things that are, quote, clinically proven, aren't that ironclad. As I like to challenge sometimes medical professionals, would this get a conviction in a court of law? I'm not so sure. There's the placebo effect, which means that if a hundred people are given a particular medication, all suffering from the same condition, that's called clinically proven because there's a 10% increase. <laughs> I would, of course, ask the question, can I speak to those 50%? Like, how, how did it work for them? They didn't get anything. And this has a lot to do with our minds. Maimonides says that the vast majority of healing comes from within the body itself. Just be in a good state of mind. You have to believe that you can be well, that you will be well, that you have the power to overcome this. Incidentally, hospitals are once a very demoralizing place to be. We've changed that. All of the new hospitals that are being built are relatively pleasant, cheery places. They're as cheerful as a hospital can be. I noticed the difference over the years because I've been visiting hospitals for a very long time. And it used to be more painful than it still is because it looked horrible. It felt horrible. They're trying to make him look less institutional. They're trying to make it more welcoming. Why? Because today we know that emotional wellness in the mind, being in a good place in the mind, actually contributes to healing. Do you know that the Rebbe believed very strongly in the, inf in the impact or influence of words used? Do you know that he vigorously campaigned to change the name of hospitals in Israel from Bet Cholim to Bet Refuah? He says, when a person is told they're in the house of the sick, that's what Bet Cholim means. What a demoralizing message. I'm sick. I'm diseased. When a person is told, I'm in a bet refuah, I'm in a place of recovery. I'm in a house of healing. The Rebbe wrote a letter to the Kleisenberger Rebbe asking him to change the name of the hospital that he founded by virtue of a vow he made when he survived the concentration camp that the Leonardo Hospital should be called not Merkaz or Bet Cholim, but rather Bet or Merkaz Refui. And the Kleisenberg Rebbe actually did it. It's called Merkaz Refui Leonardo, which is the name of the donor. Merkaz, a center of healing. Think about that. Not only the way the hospital looks, but even what it's called. I'm going to get healed. Not I'm going to be sick. So much of pharmacology is only as effective as we want or believe it to be. And for reasons that we may never fully know, not all pharmacology always works the same way. It depends on our genetics and our temperament. It could depend on thousands of variables. 
we may never have all the data. So medicine is an approximate game. If it works for 10 or 12 percent, and I don't know what the exact number is, and I think that there are different percentages for, like different thresholds for different kinds of medications to be accepted by the medical community. So whether it's a difference of 10 percent or 15 percent or 20 percent, there's a certain percentage that has to be demonstrable. And a good study means that it's, it's controlled, which means that there's a, a variation, and the variations are the same variations, whether it's age or, or ethnicity, whatever might contribute, or, 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 or nourishment, or lack thereof. Did you know that the studies are actually parallel studies? And if you're seeing a consistent result, study after study after study, then it becomes an established fact. And even that established fact isn't really established. It isn't certain. Because there are medications which we know scientifically, clinically proven to be effective that sometimes aren't effective. And then sometimes placebos <laughs> that do the job. And then sometimes illness can disappear and we don't know why. Medications can work or not work and we really can't explain it. I'm not a doctor, but I've spoken to many doctors about many situations over the years as a rabbi, and sometimes that's the response I get. Well, we don't really understand why. We don't really know why. This is what we know. We're doing what we can by virtue of what we know. In other words, it's an imperfect science. And that's precisely the point. We're not talking about practices of general wellness or health. We're talking about medicinal practices specifically. And it seems to me that this and so DM is saying you're not buy, allowed to buy snake oil. Well, um, I'm going to tell you snake oil is a bad idea. Yeah, it's a bad idea. You shouldn't use or buy snake oil. I mean, you could waste your money, but if you want to waste your money, or if you want to give your money away, uh, <laughs> I'd suggest you give tzedakah. That's a more effective way to achieve health or wellness, as we're going to learn. So in fact, Rabbeinu B'chai is not talking about typical practices of health or wellness. That's already covered. That's a matter of fact. He's talking about things which are not precisely factual. Things which are not snake oil, but at the same time, they're not equal to the concept of eating. And the reason we have to say this is because if we're just talking about living healthy, how is that any different than going through the motions to make a living, going through the motions to avoid danger? It's implicit. It's self-understood. It doesn't have to be addressed separately. And that's the answer to the big question. Now the Pas Lechem and Marpel and Nefesh are even more explicit in their understanding of this. Pas Lechem says that we're talking about something Somehow this is, it has a salutary effect. We don't know necessarily why, but it, it's clear that it does. And he says, he lists a bunch of medical therapies 
some of which are outdated. And maybe people's nature changed. Maybe temperament has changed. But he lists a bunch of different things people once used to do. He says, Rabbeinu Bechai goes on to write, Lidchois hamadve, to push away illness, disease. Bameh shenohagu lidchois, in a manner that has been accustomed to pushing it away. <laughs> Interesting comment from... Uh, Michal David here. He says, schools like drugs are bad and then prescribe a six-year-old. I can't read that. Adderall for not being able to sit at a desk for eight hours. Yeah, I'm, I'm there, Michal David. I, I, I think that's a terrible idea. I think, it's a ter I think uh, we're putting kids on medication because the teachers need to have their own medication. I don't think we're thinking about what's best for the children. I think... Um, I think North American kids are way over-medicated as a rule. And we reach for pharmacology because it's the path of least resistance. And you'll notice Rabbeinu Bechaya never indicates anything like that. He says things which are salutary for health. Things which are known to push away disease or illness. And the Pas Lechem says something stunning here. He says a lot of why it's a good idea to do these things is because because people believe in them. Maybe it's a bad word. Inappropriate. People, to be so much is to lean on it. And he says you can see this from the fascinating commentary. The words of the Gemara and the Paslechem here quotes the Gemara in Mesechet Brachot. And it says, on page 60, a person who goes to do bloodletting, but don't get caught in the bloodletting. The point is it was medical therapy of the day. A person who does this, he should pray. He should pray. He should say, may it be your will, that this engagement, that this thing I'm doing should be little for. Why do we have to pray for medicine to work? Because it's not a given. Medicine doesn't always work. And the Paslechem draws a sharp contrast between medicine and nourishment. He says, this gives you a tam al-bakoshasarachmim. Why is it the Torah ordains that we take medicine and pray the medicine should work? Why don't we uh, pray the food should work? <laughs> he says, I'm, I'm eating now, God. I pray this food will satiate me. There's no such prayer that's found anywhere in the Talmud. We don't say, dear God, I hope and I pray that this food is going to satiate me, that it's going to remove my hunger. We make a bracha acknowledging that everything we get is a gift from God. And when we're finished eating, we acknowledge that. And finishing eating on a full stomach, it's even more important to thank and acknowledge Hashem because there are no atheists, no foxholes. And when you're hungry, it's easy to humble yourself before God. But when you're satiated and feeling great about yourself, that's when it's most important to humble yourself before God. 
which is why biblically the bracha is recited after we eat. The bracha reciting before eating is a mindfulness. It's, it's, a, it's an attitude. You're not praying for the food to work, to be effective. Even though, says the Paslech, and if you think about it, if you think about it, hunger and illness are kind of similar. They both cause massive dysfunction. People aren't able to be on top of their game if they're malnourished. It's like an illness. Yeah, but it's easy to get rid of. You just you can solve that illness or emptiness or lack with food. But Rafua, that's another story. So he says, because you can't compare them. Hashem places something in your hands. If you eat, you will be satiated. If you eat and you aren't satiated, that's called a miracle. That doesn't make any sense. Hashem made it. It's a matter of fact. You eat, you'll be full. However, and if you don't eat, if you don't take food, you're guaranteed to die. So he says, Muzin is a derech Food is an open-shut case. There are no surprises. It's a vadai. It's what we would call certain. If I eat, I will live. If I starve, I will die. Straight up. But he says, when it comes to medicine, that's a very different story. You cannot say that it's a derech You cannot say that medicine is always going to work. There is no medication known to humankind ever that has a 100% rate of success. Food has a 100% rate of success bringing satiation. If somebody isn't satiated, they just need more food. Enough food will satiate anybody. But more of the same medication can actually make you sicker. And there is never a guarantee with medication. And we see, he says, Kamapamen, very often therapy won't work. Very often the medicine won't work. The pharmacology won't work. And sometimes the body heals itself, so to speak. We don't know why. As one oncologist said to me, we don't understand this disease. He says there are times when it just recedes. We call it a miracle, he says, because we don't know how else to explain it. It doesn't make sense to us. We don't know how it comes, and sometimes you don't know how it leaves. So what do you do? You say, well, you know, since medication sometimes does work and sometimes doesn't work, I'm just going to eschew it all together. I'm going to avoid the doctors, avoid medication. I'll take my chances. I'll, uh, I'll take snake oil. I'll, I'll do nothing. I'll pray. Well, what if I go to the doctor for? Anyway, the therapy might not work. Anyway, the procedure might not be effective. Anyway, the medicine might not be able to achieve the intended results. So why bother? Ah, good question. You should bother because Torah says you should. Torah says I should? Yes. Where? In Exodus. Chapter 21, verse 19. As Rebbeinu B'chayi goes on now, K'moi shetziva haboire yisaleh. God says so. He does? Yeah. He says, You will certainly get healed. 
The Gemara Bavakama tells us, from here we can see that permission was given to a doctor to heal somebody. But he says, there's one very important proviso. I'm going to the doctor because Torah told me to go to the doctor. But what if it doesn't work? I never relied on the medicine. What would you rely on? Don't rely on the medicine. Don't rely on the therapy. Don't rely on the pharmacology. Don't rely on the statistics. Don't rely on the studies. Don't think shehein ma'ilis and mazikas. Don't think that they, in fact, are what bring health or illness. When it comes to medicine, this is very much in Hashem's hands. So inasmuch as it looks to us like you work hard, you make a living. You don't work hard, you don't have any food. Simple as that. Your work produces the prosperity. And then we said, no, 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 that's not exactly so. And despite the fact that we went through the motions of success and failure and the need for us to work and not become despondent and continue to be diligent in that arena of life, now Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is talking not about food and eating, not about normal health practice. He's talking specifically about medicines, about therapies, about procedures, which might not always work. But if there's a clinical study that says it seems to work, then that's what you should do. Because Torah said so. And God works through it, should he choose to. So what am I relying on? Hashem. I'm relying on Hashem. So the doctor, his job is to give you the confidence that we're doing the best we can by virtue of what we, the medical community, know. And we leave it in Hashem's hands. So why should I look for the best doctor? Why should I seek out the most effective therapy? It's a good question. Somebody once asked that to the Maggot of Mizrich. He said, does the Gemara say that when a doctor is doing his job, there's a heavenly force, which we call, for lack of better terminology, an angel that's with him? And the Maggot said, yes. So the man asked the Maggot of Mizrich, then why she got a bigger doctor? To which the Maggot replied, a bigger doctor? A bigger malach. It's not just a joke. It's not a, a euphemism. There's something to it. When we made the greatest effort, we created the conduit for Hashem's blessing. Will it come? That's in Hashem's hands. And so as we started off by saying, the most important thing is, live toyach and this especially, we should rely on Hashem. And sadly, despite the fact that we know that medicine is such an imperfect science, and despite the amazing achievements, and they are amazing achievements, that the medical community has made, incredible breakthroughs, the amazing, astounding discoveries, that many scientists and doctors have made over the years and lives that, in a natural way, they have saved. Despite all of this, ultimately, it's all in Hashem's hands. Hashem gave people the wisdom to be able to discover certain things, or the mazel, because a lot of these discoveries happen by, quote, accident. 
like penicillin discovered by accident and only later realized how powerful it actually was. So when we go through these motions, because Hashem has given it to us and because it's deemed to be effective or more effective, clinically proven, to be somewhat more effective than a placebo, then that's what we're supposed to do. But that's not what we're supposed to rely on. And that's the Torah way in bitachon and medicine. Now I have to tell you that in a, in a, it, it's, it's like phenomenal to me that the, the medieval scholars, the post-medieval scholars, Shonim, Achronim, they all follow the same path in understanding this. And yet, a contemporary commentary that was published by Art Scroll takes a totally different view of things. And I said, why they, I wonder why they did that. And, and I, I really can't tell you why they did it, but I think they're dead wrong. They said, oh, you know what? This is the idea that the Gemara talks about that you have to avoid heat and cold. Because if you don't avoid heat and cold, then that's going to make you unhealthy. So in their contemporary commentary, they, they, they don't discuss medication. They don't discuss therapy. They don't discuss pharmacology. They suggest that the Pshat and Abena B'chaya is the Gemara in Meseches Kesubas and Bava that speaks about exposing oneself to harsh, cold, or extreme heat and that as a result of this negligence, you get sick whereas other illnesses are decreed from heaven. So the, the Gemara over there talks <laughs> about Father Jacob, about Yaakov Avinu, and he was worried about, about letting Binyamin go to his go to his um, go to Egypt to see that maniacal monarch who wanted to lay eyes on him, so to speak. He said, no, no, you're going to take him and something's going to go wrong. So the Gemara says, from Yaakov's concern, Yaakov is worried to his children. What was he worried about? And the Gemara says, the intention had to be tzinim upachim. Harsh cold, because sometimes, you know, the desert gets really cold, or blistering heat. And maybe a person will die. So he says, because that would be in heaven's hands. Who says that's what he was worried about? Maybe he's worried about the attack of a predatory animal, a wild animal, or thieves. Now, obviously, this doesn't seem to make sense. The Shittim Gubetza says, a wild animal, a lion, is not Bidei Adam. So he says the words Bidei Adam, Ritva also says this go primarily on the idea of ganvi, on being waylaid by bandits. So the Gemara says, Otu, Yanke, Vaho, Azahir, was that what he warned them about? That he wasn't worried about. So what was he worried about? He was worried about Sinimu Pachim. He was worried about the cold and the heat. Why? Because all illness, that, but the Gemara says, but that's Bidei Shomayim, that's in heaven's hands. 
that's in heaven's hands. Tanya, we learn all illness is uh, coming from God, except for a person who exposes himself to extreme temperatures. And there's a verse about that. Extreme weather, harsh, cold, blistering heat. This is uh, something that's, so to speak, a deviation from the path of wellness and, and, and normalcy, and a person who's wise is going to avoid it. The Gemara goes back and forth with this discussion. We have a similar Gemara, which is also found in Meseches Bavabasa. The Gemara over there is talking about is talking about the, the uh, situation that a group of brothers might find themselves heirs to a father's fortune. So it's, you know, they're kind of living together. And one gets sick. So, so who pays for the doctor bills? Does everybody pay together? Because you know, this is, so to speak, from heaven that their residuals should be depleted? Or is it that person's fault? So the Gemara says, you know, if they have a common, they're living out of a common account, and somebody gets sick, that's the right thing to do. Because de The Gemara says, except for extreme heat and cold, and quotes the same verse from Proverbs 22, verse 5. And uh, so the, if it's a gazeta from the heavens, okay, but if it's something you could have stopped, ah, then you should have stopped it. It's interesting to note that in the Rambam's commentary on the Mishnah, he says it's not only inclement weather or extreme temperatures that we talk about over here. Anything which causes a person to get sick, a person exposed himself to germs, a person put himself in an unhealthy environment, well, what did you expect? So you got sick. He says this would refer to, also refer to eating foods profoundly unhealthy, obesity, gorging on sugar, an unhealthy Substances like that. Or overexposure to extreme temperatures. So this is like somebody who actually harmed himself. It's like somebody who, who stabs himself. And the Ritva says something similar as well. So I'm, I'm wondering, I was thinking to myself, hmm, none of these great rabbis knew what the rabbi art school knew. They, they didn't know about these Gemaras. Why did they, why did they go their way? And then there's a Teisvis which is found in Meseches Nida, pardon me, Aved And it's found on Dav Gimel Amad Beis. The Teisvah begins with the word Shoimer Nafshei. And the Teisvah says, takes about a fascinating story of Antoninus, Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, that's what we think he was anyway, has this conversation with Abihu Hanasi, and he says, bless me, pray for me, that I shouldn't get cold. And uh, Rabbi Yudha says, what do you need a prayer for that? Buy yourself a good coat. You know, Antoninus had these military campaigns and he was exposed to extreme temperatures for extended periods of time. So he says, dress well enough, dress right. <laughs> People go skiing, they don't pray, they dress for it. Dress for it, he says. So he says, uh, okay, what about heat stroke? Oh, he says, that's a problem. You know, you can't, there's only that many layers you can peel off. That you got to pray for. He said, that you need help for. They shouldn't overheat. And the, the point, the upshot of the Teisvis is that, in fact, much of these kinds of things, which we can actually control or choose to be or not to be in that kind of situation, so 
So that's not called in heaven's hands, it's called our hands. So the thing is this, I have no clue where our is coming from. I, I, th- this has nothing to do with what Rabbeinu Chai is talking about. Why? Why? Because that's a no-brainer. Why is there any difference between making, you have to make efforts in business, even you're someti- you know sometimes they're not successful. But still, it's in Hashem's hands, but you still have to make the efforts. And you're not allowed to put yourself in danger. Oh, and by the way, you're not allowed to ex- overexpose yourself to, to frigid temperatures or blistering heat. This is a no-brainer. Of course not. Why would Rebbein have to spend time with that? Why would we have to talk about that for? I think what they're saying is totally misguided. I'm pretty sure <laughs> that I'm right because these great sages explained Rabbeinu Mechaia elsewise. They said, it's not what he's talking about. It's not talking about, as I started saying in the beginning of today's class, about eating healthy, sleeping enough. No. It's talking about things that have medicinal or salutary properties attached to them. So a person says, you know what? Why should I bother taking that medication? Some people get better from it, and some people it's the opposite effect. These are real shyness that we have to ask. Are we allowed to take an experimental treatment? What if an experimental treatment that has shown to save some people has killed many others? What do you do? There are various therapies today that have, can go one way or the other extreme. Serious questions that sometimes a rabbi could be called upon to respond to. I once had a shiloh from somebody who told me that the, his doctor said there is a treatment in such a percentage it's shown remarkable results. However, there's also significant documentation of it making the illness far worse and causing demise. It was a very serious shiloh. And it took a lot of soul searching and research and discussion with a very senior rabbi and, and I advised him not to take this therapy. And several years went by, and he's still living, Baruch Hashem. And the doctors told him he wouldn't live. Ah, but then again, medicine was not given to us to predict life or death. Medicine was given to us because we have a halachic responsibility to utilize whatever data or science or information we have, but always not to rely on it, instead to rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the meaning of a rapa yirapa. And that's a real chiddush. That's novel. That's not obvious. This has to be addressed separately. And so it is addressed separately. And now that Rabbeinu Bechaya said this, he goes on to illustrate that in fact, healing, which is ultimately in the hands of Hashem, it's a bit of a mystery. And Hashem can choose to heal you by means of nature or through a series of therapies or procedures which logically seem to lead in a certain direction where Hashem can choose to just heal you or to heal you in a manner that is entirely counterintuitive. Rabbeinu Bechaya believed with every fiber of his being that whilst we should and in fact are obligated to utilize the medical information and technology available to us 
100%, that we were also 100% obligated not to believe or rely upon it. You believe and rely on Hashem. I'll share something current and maybe a little bit personal. And don't judge me, regardless of which camp you're in. So somebody in my community came to me a while back and said, are you vaccinated? I had COVID, for real, right in the beginning. And yes, I am vaccinated. It's not important as to why I made my decision. Most uh, primarily because I consult in medical professionals. That's what Torah tells me to do. So I'm vaccinated, yeah. And this member of my community, well-intentioned, he says, but do you believe in it? I said, I beg your pardon? <laughs> I believe in Hashem. I don't have to believe in science. In fact, not only I don't believe in science, I don't rely on science. I do what I have to do by virtue of the Torah, the Halacha. Rely? I rely on the Rebbein Shalom. A person could take every which precaution and still succumb to illness. A person could take no precautions and still be healthy. The right thing to do is to take the reasonable precautions, but to rely on Hashem. It might seem paradoxical. It might seem to be somewhat of a balance, and maybe it is. It's the Torah way of life. Rabbeinu B'chaya now drives home his point and he says and when you trust in Hashem then then it's the creator who will heal you. Very powerful words. I want to repeat them. Kasher yivtach baboyre. When you place your trust in the Creator, He will heal you. He will heal you. In other words, the concept is that we have to have trust in Hashem. Yes, it is our personal Torah halachic obligation to do our part, but our health is not dependent on science or technology, therapy or medicine. It's dependent on Hashem. And that's what we have to rely on. And when you rely on Hashem, and you say, Hashem will heal me, then in fact, Hashem is the one who heals us. We learned earlier in chapter 3, in the third principle of complete betachen, we learned that if a person relies on something else, even partially, Hashem withdraws his hashgacha, his, so to speak, providence over the person and he leaves him to the thing he relied upon we talked about this with the alchemist I shared with you a phenomenal sicha, a whole thesis of the Rebbe on the Purim story Betochen, as we've learned multiple times is supposed to be a sum zero game Betochen is an absolute science I don't trust in God and in the doctor and in the lawyer and in whatever else it might be no. 
I trust in Hashem. My trust is singularly, absolutely placed in the Rabbeinu Shalom. That doesn't mean I have to do my part. Not because I trust it. Not because I believe in it. Believe and trust? That is an only in Hashem and Hashem alone. And the Bainu B'chaya says, if you trust in Hashem, you open the spiritual endorphins. You, you open this super highway. You get online. You're able to download the blessings. Besiba, or Beltisiba. Through a cause, or maybe not through a cause. Shanemar, as David Melech says in Tehillim, this is Psalm 107, in verse 20, he says, Yishlach dvoroi, he sends forth his word and he heals them. So when you take a look in the actual verses in Tehillim, he sends forth his word and he heals. Yishlach says the Mitzudas David, and I quote, we're not talking about healing that's brought about through medicinal means. That's pharmacology. By God's proverbial word. Or as Ibn Ezra says, that God says, and all of a sudden, the person is healed. Not through drinking some potion or medication. Something which is made in the laboratory of Maisa ben Adam. And Hashem enables him to avoid the illness. As the oncologist told me, we don't know why. It sometimes just disappears. And that brings me to your point. Radak, Rabbi David Kimchi says, Yishlach, Medicine is an action taken, a therapy, a medication, something administered, a surgery, a procedure. That's not how Hashem heals. Hashem heals bedvare levad. What is devare? What is Hashem's word? What is that? Radak says, the will of God. God willed it. If God willed it, so it was. And from this verse in Tehillim, says Rabbeinu Bachaya, we can see the Torah, the, the Novi, made us point of saying, he spoke about healing. And he said that God sends the healing. So if we're not supposed to believe in God being the healer, if the doctor is the healer, why did David HaMelech say, God is the healer? Because he is. We should always be appreciative to the medical professionals who helped us. But don't credit them with your life. If you were helped by doctors and nurses, thank them, show appreciation, and know that Hashem saved you. How often do we say, the doctor saved my life. The EMT saved my life. Hashem saved your life. They were merely His messengers. As I mentioned multiple times, the famous words of the Gemara, Chamra Lamare, Tavisi Lashakir. The wine belongs to the owner of the establishment. You still thank the waiter who delivered it. Chamra Lamare. Don't forget that, my friends. 
our appreciation first and foremost must always be to the true Hashem is the healer. Hashem is the one who brings about astonishing transformations, shifts, and results. We should always live with appreciation to others. We should always know that ultimately it comes from the Rebbeinu Shalelam. Reliance on Him, full trust in Him, brings those blessings about. Rebbeinu Bechayin now goes on to say, Sometimes God will say it has to come through natural means. It's not just coming like that. But the natural means will be the polar opposite of medicine. Medicine is a logical conclusion. This drug, this herb, this substance stimulates or simulates certain things which cause wholesomeness, healing. And sometimes Hashem chooses that the thing that usually kills suddenly brings about good health. And it could be that this is actually poison. Hashem chose that through it should come healing. As we know with the story of Elisha, and this is a phenomenal story, where Elisha is dealing with people that's found in the second chapter of the book of Kings, and they're living in the city of Yerichai, and they said, it's a nice neighborhood, nice place to live, but the water is terrible, they said. Mayim Haroyim, they said, this foul water, and it's... Um, it's killing us. We should need water. So how did he heal the water? So he went to the water because they didn't have anything to drink. And he threw salt, the melach. But salt in the water is like the worst thing you could do. As the Paslechem says, salt in the water? What are you kidding? There's nothing that harms or damages water from people's drinking it. Nothing makes water less potable than melech, than salt. They have these desalination plants. You've got to take out the salt. Imagine if we could figure out how to take the ocean water and make it, make it healthy, regular hydration. Nobody would ever go thirsty again. How many deserts are borderline, right on, on water? And they have salt. And the salt doesn't help. The sand next to the salt. And you can't drink the salt water. And they came to Elisha and they said, we have a problem. The water is terrible. Stinking, rotten water. He said, no problem. Throw salt in there. And Hashem says, oh, I healed the water. No longer will it be a source of death. Now, truth be told, this isn't talking about physical healing of a person's illness. But because the scripture uses the term refuah, so Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar feels comfortable, I think, importing this. It's clear that he feels comfortable importing it and saying, you see, you see, he, he healed the water with exactly the opposite of what heals the water. Let me just check and see if we'll see him. And here's really interesting. Then he says, V'chein, and similarly, Exodus 15, verse 25, 
What happened is Moshe Rabbeinu brings the people into the desert and they came to a place called Mora. It's bitter. And they said, why is Because the water is bitter. And it's like three million people. They need a drink and there's no water. It's going to be, they're all going to die. So Hashem shows him a stick and he throws the stick into the water. And when he throws the stick into the water, something happens. Where's that paper? And the water, all of a sudden, is sweet. So the first thing I thought was, one second. You have an example, it's in the actual Pentateuch, Moshe Rabbeinu. Why does he first quote Elisha, which is, and he doesn't even quote the verse of Elisha. He says the idea of Elisha. And he says, and also it's by Moshe Rabbeinu. So the answer, I think, is like this. Because he says, the early sages. And he refers here, the Farshim tells, to the Medrash Tanchuma. Shehoya eats shell. Hardufni, that it was a Hardufni tree or Hardufni branch. So what is Hardufni? Apparently there's a Rashi in Meseches Psachim on page 39b that identifies Hardufni as poisonous for animals. And as such, Hardufni would be like the salt. Right? The, the art school commentary suggests that it might be something called oleander. And my Googling told me that oleander is a poisonous evergreen old world shrub that is widely grown in warm countries for its clusters of white, pink, or red flowers. Okay, so whatever. I guess there's, I don't know what makes an old word shrub or a new word shrub. I'm not sure 100% about that, but it might be oleander. Maybe it's not. What's the point? The point is this. The scripture doesn't actually say that the piece of wood was bitter or rotten. It doesn't say it. I mean, it could have been a, a maybe it was a sweet. Maybe it was sugar cane. So we have an oral tradition that tells us that that AIDS is actually a poisonous AIDS, the exact opposite. Okay, but that doesn't say openly. That's like an oral tradition and explanation. And it's emet, but that's vechain. When it comes to Elisha's story, it says clearly, salt. Like the Paslechem says, salt is like the last thing you want to put in the water to make it drinkable. He put salt, it makes it drinkable. And he used the word refuah. With Moshe Rabbeinu, it doesn't use the word refuah. So, Moshe Rabbeinu's story is a similar story of how Hashem changed something. But for Rabbeinu Baha'i's purposes, the story of Elisha is right on the money because it uses the term refuah. Although he doesn't have a biblical precedent for a person being healed, by what seems to be the opposite, yet, we'll see in a moment he does. But he says here we can see that Hashem heals something from the polar opposite. Heals something. And we have a similar idea with Moshe being on the water. And then he says, going further into the scripture, going ahead in the scripture, we also find with regard to Yeshayo Hanavi. So the story goes, the Yeshayo Hanavi comes to visit King Chizkiyahu, and Chizkiyahu is deathly ill. And Yeshayahu comes as the Gemara Baruchas tells us, and he says, you are going to die. The Gemara tells us there was a standoff between the two. The Novi, Yeshayahu, believed that the Melech has to come to the Novi. The Melech knew that the Novi has a message, but he believed that the prophet has to come to the king. So they all stood in ceremony, spiritual ceremony. They went to do the right thing. Because of the office they occupied, because of the position that they held. Wasn't their personal honor? These are tzaddikim. What has Hashem do? Chizkiyahu gets sick, so now Yeshayahu comes to do the mitzvah. 
of Bikur Cholim, of visiting the sick, and he says, by the way, i got a message for you. You're not going to make it. And Chizkiyahu says, what do you mean I'm not going to make it? Why not? He says, why? Because uh, you chose not to have children. You didn't get married. You didn't do your mitzvah. And Chizkiyahu says, but, Rebbe, he says, holy, holy prophet, Yeshayahu, you know why. You know why I'm not getting married. You know that it's been foretold that I will have wicked children. I want to bring wicked children into the world. And Yeshua Navi says something very powerful. He says, that's not your business. This is the secrets that are left to God. You have to do your thing. You do your thing. And the Rebbein Shalom will do his. By the way, he did get married. And he married Yeshayahu's daughter. He said, between your merit and the merit of my ancestry, of David Melech, somehow things will turn out right. But it didn't. And his son was a wicked, wicked man. Menashe was so evil. Forgive me. He was such an idolater. He tattooed the names of his idol onto his male part. Sicko. Monster. Terrible, terrible person. But you know what? He had a child about whom is said, Yoshia, who was so righteous. Shem has his ways. At any rate, Chizkiyot says, listen here, you can deliver a message. You can't make decisions. He says, I have a tradition from David Melech that one should never despair from prayer, even if a sharp sword rests upon his neck. And so he began to pray. And the story goes that suddenly Hashem sends Yeshayot back to Chizkiyot. And he tells Chizkiyot's people, to heal him. And how does he heal him? The Novi says, Yisu davelas te'enim v'yimruchu ala shechin The king had a terrible abscess and his flesh was, was inflamed and pus was coming out. And Yeshayo, Hanavi tells his people that you have to take the, a smeared cake made of figs and you have to place it upon the broken skin. And, and the Mepharshim say that it's very harmful. Tevalovanan says that this Develastainim, this cake of figs, is mazik lashchin. It on, 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 on sick skin. It's very unhealthy. Others go on to say that even on healthy skin, it would be bad because of the acid that it has in it. But that's what the Navi said. And what happened? Amazingly, he was healed. How did that happen? How do you explain that medically? You don't. Why did Hashem want him to be healed that way? Why didn't he tell him to do what the doctor said? Because Hashem wanted to demonstrate a miracle. That's God's choice and God's business. So you and I can't decide, I'm going to do the polar opposite. I'll take poison and get healed. That's simply wrong, besides being crazy. But if a Navi tells you that's the thing to do, hey, if a Navi says, then a Navi says. So Hashem wants to use a vehicle. Usually the vehicle is nature. That's what we know. That's what we're told to do. If Hashem decides to use a different kind of vehicle, so be it. And now Rabbeinu Bechaya finishes off by telling us that there was a man who was pretty righteous. He was a king of Israel. His name was Asa. And he did, for the most part, what Hashem wanted. But towards the end of his life, things got very rotten. And he was sick. 
and he sought out the help of doctors. What's wrong with that? He believed in the medicine. He relied on the therapy. He trusted the doctors, not Hashem. And that proved to be his undoing. Kishabotach, you already know because Rabbeinu B'chaya has mentioned this previously. When Asa, as is described in the second book of Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 12, when Asa, when he put his trust in the doctors, he abandoned his trust in God, he turned away from God. Paslechem says he didn't use his trust in God, then it wasn't good. And you see from Hamusavatah, you see from the rebuke he was given, what his mistake was. And finally, Rabbeinu Bachaya says, and the scripture states, and here he takes us to the book of Job, takes us to Eov. And he says, Eov in the fifth chapter in the eighteenth verse says, Kihu Yachiv, Because it is God, he says, it is God who inflicts pain and God who bandages it. Yimchatz Hashem is the one who crushes and at the same time, the Yodoi Tirpena, it's Hashem's hands that bring healing. The Metsudah Sin tells us that the word Vayichbaish comes from Elashon Tachbaishas. It means a bandage, but it also means Refua. It means health. And the Metsudah's David says something fascinating about this verse. He says, not only does God make a person sick and heal him, but be Yasurim Humachiv with this pain. This illness, this disease, God forbid that God sends, he causes the pain. The very illness can become the very thing to heal. Figuratively or spiritually, it cleanses one from sin. But perhaps even that's to be taken literally. Now I've shared with you a number of times that in my humble, very, very imperfect, I'm just a tiny little guy, but in my view, the Rebbe, was a true Shar HaBetochen person. He literally lived by the Shar HaBetochen. And you can see it in his teachings. And you can see it in the advice that he gives to people. And I want to share with you, the Kiyat edition brings them down, but I want to share with you from the original, various letters that the Rebbe wrote to different people. And you see how the very ideas that Rabbeinu Bechaya espouses here, this is the kind of advice that Rebbe was giving people. This is the Rebbe's playbook. But it brings it out in such clear, practical, everyday advice that I thought we would conclude today's class with these various excerpts of letters. And I think it'll be very helpful for you to kind of take these lessons home and really bring them into a, really internalize them, bring them into a way that, that, that you can deal with your own challenges. The Rebbe writes in a letter, this is written in the summer of 1951. He says, I got your letter. I got your letter, and I'm going to bring it to the grave of the previous Rebbe to pray for you. And he says, Certainly Hashem will have mercy, and I pray there, and you'll have a speedy recovery. And then the Rebbe writes like this, and I'm going to share with you, and it's an original Yiddish translate. Givis hotir ad doctor, vel I'm sure you have a doctor. He's giving you instructions. And 
folgt. Wie sagt es euch? I'm sure you're doing what he says. And then the Rebbe goes on to say, you're a chassid. You've got to be a super Jew. So the thing is, we're never alone, the Rebbe says. And what do you need to do now? He says, you have a doctor. Listen to his instructions. Darfte sich starken in betochen. Strengthen your trust. As durch dem was men wet is verbunden. When you're connected to chassidus and the ways of chassidus, and through that, mit with the tree of life, the kval von leben, the spring of life. The mele zach menit sein versorgt. What are you being worried about? Und sein starken betochen. Stop worrying. The anxiety does not help you get better. In fact, it diminishes your trust in Hashem. Have trust. So clear. I was talking about the here. Exactly what the Bena said. Trust in God. Hashem will send you out whatever you need. And if you are strong in your trust, that this should be seen with physical material eyes, you'll see those blessings in your everyday life. A letter that Rebbe wrote earlier that year, in the spring of that very year, Rebbe responds to somebody who apparently the person's wife had some kind of eye disease. And the Rebbe says, and this is written in Hebrew, Kol Yehudi Every Yid has to make vehicles, conventions, envelopes. L'kabel to receive the blessings of HaKadosh Baruch And therefore, you'd think his next advice is go to the doctor. <laughs> so the Rebbe says, I strongly encourage you, begin now to say, the Tehillim as it's divided according to the days of the month. So that you finish the entire book of Tehillim each month. And then you should learn a portion of the Chumash every single day. And you should participate in public Torah classes. And your wife about whom you wrote should give tzedakah. To the tzedakah supporting the poor in Eretz Yisrael, especially before she lights Shabbat candles, and Yom Tov candles. And that's the vessel. That's the convention. Trust in Hashem and more Yiddishkeit. How incredible. A letter that the Rebbe wrote, this is found, the first two letters are found, by the way, in the fourth volume of Igris Kedish. The first letter that I shared with you is found on page 361. The second letter that I shared with you is found on page 285 onto page 286. Here, a letter that's found in the 10th volume of Vigris Kedesh. It's on page 36. The Rebbe writes to this person, I got your letter. I'm sorry I couldn't respond more soon, more, more quickly. It was Yomtev. You write about Matzev Briusei, about your uh, situation, your health. The Rebbe says, We know that there's an instruction from our Torah which is called Torah Chaim, a Torah of life. On the Pasuk, Verapa Yerape, the verse we just mentioned in the, in the Shara Betochen, Shenitnu Rishut, the permission is granted, for a doctor to heal. Ubemela, since Torah gives permission for a doctor to heal, Tzorach Lomala, you gotta listen to an expert, an expert in this field of medicine. Avel but along with following the instructions from the doctor. 
You have to know with absolute clarity. God is the healer. He is the one who is It is God who heals all flesh. It is God who makes extraordinary things unfold. Ish ploini, this and this doctor, the sam ploini, and such and such medication are only shluchov ve'emtsoi. They are but intermediaries. Ubemele, and as such, although the Rebbe advises this person to go and get instructions from a doctor and take the medicine, l'chalarosh, first and foremost, exactly what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar wrote. Sarich lahetiv the first thing you have to strengthen yourself your spiritual health because that strengthens your your connectivity to Hashem as we discussed at great length in one of the earliest episodes our betochen is our dveikus we talked about the Rambam's description in the guide to the perplexed as the mind being the powerful tool the medium through which we can be davuk always connected to Hashem Yisbarach. And last but certainly not least, I'm going to conclude with a letter that's found in the fifth volume of the Igris Kodesh. By the way, the letter I just read to you is from the fall of 1954, and this is from the winter of 1952, January of 52. So interestingly, it seems that this letter was written to somebody in Toronto. And uh, the Rebbe Sveik says, I, you know, I understand that you wrote to me that you read the doctor's reports and you did your research. In 1952, it probably meant he went to a medical library. You know, in today's day and age, you Googled it. And you read all kinds of different information. And the person, it's really late, so I'm not going to translate from inside. I'm just going to give you the gist of it. The person is very nervous and very worried and very demoralized because according to his understanding of the medicine, it's uh, not looking good. And the doctor also confirmed the prognosis that it's not looking good. The Rebbe says to him, what is with you? You asked my opinion, so I'm going to give it to you. You're a Torah Jew. You're a man of faith. Strengthen yourself. Pull yourself together. The Rebbe says, everybody has a mission in life. Generally speaking, everybody's mission in life is to live a Torah life to live a holy life, to be connected to Hashem. Furthermore, everybody has a specific mission in life to influence another Yid, to make other people's lives more spiritually uplifted. The Rebbe quotes a famous teaching of the Baal Shem, you see a naked person, clothe him. This is true in a physical, material, literal sense. How much more so it's true spiritually. You see a person who's missing Jewish literacy, who doesn't have faith, who doesn't have trust, who doesn't have any kind of spirituality or inspiration, Help him, dress him, make him warm. That's your shlichus. The Rebbe says, you're not a doctor. If you were a medical practitioner, that would be your shlichut, that would be your message, your mission in life. It's not your mission in life. God didn't choose you for pursuit of, of, in the field of medicine. How do we know? Because you're not a doctor. So if you're not a doctor, the Rebbe said, who asked you to become a doctor now? Who asked you to start investigating and coming to your own conclusions? Your job is to do what Torah says. Your job is to do your job. And listen to the doctor. And follow his instructions. And be strong in your betochen. Because that is the way you can bring your healing. And the stronger you are, 
have a right. So in fulfilling your own mission, personally, and in how you influence others, the better you position yourself to receive Hashem's blessings that will come through the medical practitioners, the medicines, and the therapies. And the stronger you are, betochen, and the more joy you will find in serving Hashem properly, the better off you'll be. The doctors are given permission to heal, not to predict. And the Rebbe blesses this person, and I'm, I'm sure the person lived a long and happy life. And my dear friends, this really is the upshot. So that's the answer when it comes to the question, so who is really the healer? Thank you so much for joining. I hope you found this inspirational and informative and, and uplifting. If you can take a moment to share, I'd appreciate that with a like. And please, my request to you is, let's help build the channel. If you can influence somebody else to subscribe, enable notifications, and hopefully more and more people will study Torah, open their eyes and their hearts, and fill their souls with Torah knowledge, holiness, and closeness to Hashem. And through this, healing will come to our world, to ourselves, to our families, and to a world that is so broken, a world that is so messed up, a world that so desperately needs healing. And we see from the scripture that Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar quoted, healing doesn't only apply to people, it applies to even something like water. May our world be healed. And may we merit the coming of Mashiach, the Mehera, will be Amenu, speedily, and in our days, Amen. Thank you again for joining today. Have a beautiful day, and I look forward to seeing you back.